You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for being here with us on Easter. It's um, such a joy to see you all and uh, to see some uh, faces who have uh, been engaged in everything else that it takes to do life in a pandemic. So it's nice to see some familiar faces here joining us this morning too. Um, You guys are all a part of our family, uh, a part of what it is for us to be church and community seeking Um, hope and grace and love and life and celebrating resurrection in the world. Um, So uh, I'm so glad that you're joining us. This morning, as Aaron said a few minutes ago, uh, we will be taking communion. And here at Central during uh, the pandemic, as we're meeting on Zoom, we take communion with whatever elements are around our homes. So whatever is the bread and cup for you this morning, that's great. This is a great time to grab uh, elements around your house if you haven't done so already and um, we'll partake in communion together. One of those things that grounds the entire church together, but especially this community, as we're all meeting separately and haven't been able to be um, physically in community together. So this is Easter. And one of the things that is a tradition of the church for centuries is the proclamation Um, that Jesus is risen. And typically as that happens, um, somebody from the front of the church or those gathered around, someone will say, he is risen. And the rest of the people or the person you're talking to will respond, he is risen indeed. Um, So that may come up a few times this morning. Um, We'll be sharing in some liturgy together as well. And so as we do that, I'll uh, invite you, if you're comfortable, to unmute yourselves. And as we do that here at Central, um, I'll read the parts that are not in bold and we'll respond together uh, as a community with the parts um, that are in bold. And uh, so as we begin things this morning, let me start by saying, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Interactive Zoom Church is super interesting and super fun. It's really great to hear all your voices. Um, So as we uh, get started this morning, I'm going to open us in prayer. But before that, I'd like for us to share in um, this responsive call to worship. Um, I get ready to share my screen here. Beautiful. So the church historically has used a literary structure of liturgy to open and to kind of hold places in a service to give us a familiar order of things that are happening so we can know what to expect, anticipate what's coming, and so we can be in community together. And so in the couple of pieces of liturgy we're going to read this morning, Mm -hmm. um, I always like to um, point out that This liturgy is written for 
us as a community of faith together. Um, so if there's parts of it that don't apply to you specifically or don't feel like they fit, that's great. Because when that's the case, when we can't pray a certain way, um, the community prays on our behalf. Um, it's part of what it means to celebrate this res uh, resurrection life of Easter, that we don't do this thing, this journey of faith mm -hmm. alone, and that we carry each other's burdens, that we find new life in unexpected places. Um, so will you join me in this call to worship this morning? Yeah. You don't have to feel obligated to stay in this. Walk today in the wisdom of God. Jesus, Jesus does not mistreat us. <clears throat> he who is the way will not guide us into blind alleys and desert wastes. He who is the truth does not mock us with deceit and lies. He who is the life will not betray us with delusions that bring death. Let, Let his wisdom, Let his strength give courage to all who endure so that none will falter or lose heart. Let his face bring light to all, all who believe, so that together we will cry out for justice and mercy. Beyond brokenness is love inexhaustible. Beyond death is love incomparable. Breathe in spirit over the whole earth, O God. God, fill us your resurrection world. Make us your new creation. God of grace, God of hope. This morning, this Easter, we come to you from all different places, literally from different physical places throughout the country and throughout the world. And yet you call us into community together. As we celebrate this morning, the coming of new life into this world, we know that it comes after a time of pain and brokenness and hurt and death. Good Friday is a very real present reality of where we find ourselves. And yet Easter reminds us of the hope of new life, of resurrection, of a life anew that we wouldn't have expected. So as people around the world gather to remember and celebrate, as we here at Central gather to remember and celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus, may we not forget to honor the life and teachings of Jesus. What he taught us was what Easter would show us. With love, there is no endings. With love, hope is never lost. In that space, in that light, we proclaim together, he is risen. He is risen, risen indeed. Amen. This morning, I'm going to share another piece of liturgy. This is um, a similar to a piece that we um, have read previously, um, but it's, um, it takes some artistic liberties 
that walks us through a little bit of the narrative of um, of Good Friday and Easter. And what I love about this is that it puts us in the place of all of the figures who are involved in this story. Um, because one thing that as we are a part of this global superpower of the United States, it's often easy for us to forget that we share a lot in common with the Rome of the New Testament. Um, we like to think of ourselves as kind of the good guys and the good players um, in the story of Easter. Um, and I love this because it allows us to step into all of the different roles um, and to be the voices of so many different people. Um, so as I share my screen here with you again, um, we'll share together in this liturgy. Um, so I'll read us through this story. And uh, again, I'll read the parts not in bold and we'll respond together as a community for um, the parts in bold, which are spoken pieces by various characters throughout our story here. And I'm admitting a couple of people, if you can see that. <laughs> there we go. The people of Jerusalem watched as Jesus rode into the city on a donkey. They waved palm branches and cried out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes Hosanna His disciples sat with him in the upper room. They let him wash their feet. And then Jesus said, now the son of man has been glorified and God has been glorified with him. And with you only a little longer, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. The same way that I have loved you, you should also love one another. Lord, where are you going? Where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow me after it's over. Lord, why can't, Lord, why can't we follow you now? Jesus said to Peter, will you lay down your lives for me? The truth is, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. Even I have, I have to die with you. I will never deny you. He was arrested. The disciples followed him on the trial. And they came to you and they said, you're one of this man's disciples too, aren't you? I am not. Are you sure you're not one of his followers? No, no, no I'm not. I recognize you. You're definitely one of his disciples. Curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And so Jesus was handed over to Pilate, and Pilate brought forth Jesus and a criminal called Barabbas. Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Not this man. Give us Barabbas. And what should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Crucify him. I don't see any reason to kill him. Why don't you release him? Crucify him. I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. His blood be on us. Very well. Here is your king. Crucify him. Are you sure? Should I really crucify your king? We have no king but the emperor. It will be as you say. 
take him away and crucify him. Jesus is taken. God is hung on a cross. Defeat. Death. Rome said, you cannot defy us. You are no king. Jesus replied, my kingdom is not of this world. Rome said, we will break your body. We will tear you apart. Jesus replies, Take, Take my, my body. body. It's broken for you. It will become it will food that gives life to life. The crowd said, We will spill your blood. We will drain your life away. And Jesus replied, Take, Take my, my blood. blood. It's poured out for you. It will become drink that quenches eternal thirst. Behold the Son of Man lifted up on a cross. Behold the bread of life broken. As Jesus breathes his last breath, he offers his final words. It is finished. And yet even in death, this is not the end of the new story. Today, this Easter, we celebrate something new, something transformational, the rebirth of hope, new meaning, new life, resurrection. Christ is risen. He is risen. Amen. Well, with that, we're going to enter into a time of communion. Um, you have, if you don't have elements, I encourage you to go and, and to get some now. Communion, I think, is actually a perfect way to contemplate the meaning of Jesus' death and resurrection. In communion, Christ's body is dismembered and scattered among us as bread and wine or Cheez-Its and coffee or whatever you have in front of you. And by receiving his dismembered body, we remember it within ourselves. Thus, we become the remembered body of Christ. Christ lives now in us and through us. Because what is remembered lives. What is remembered lives. Think of this being like the Mexican holiday, Dia de los, de los Muertos, Day of the Dead. The idea is that by displaying the pictures of deceased family members, by actively remembering them, their spirit is kept alive. If we forget them, their spirit dies. Uh, in a way, if you've seen the hit film Coco, you know what I'm talking about. Thus, what is remembered lives, which is really a way of saying, of course, that our dead loved ones live on in us as we cherish their memory. And I think we find this same idea in the Lord's Supper. In fact, Jesus himself told us when he instituted the Lord's Supper on the night of his arrest and in anticipation of his own death, he said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because what is remembered lives. Thus, we become the living body of Christ, the resurrected Christ, as we remember him and allow his memory to inform our lives. And so as we receive the Lord's Supper this morning, I want us to say this together as we receive the elements. What is remembered lives. So let's take the bread first or whatever we have. This is a piece of cinnamon toast. Uh, and let's say together. What is remembered lives. What is remembered lives.
And in the same way, let's now take the cup, say together, what is remembered lives. What is remembered lives. Amen. I'll turn it over to you, Angie. Happy Easter, everyone. All right, so this week we have Philmosophy Thursday nights at six via the Zoom link. Uh, the gathering will not be happening this week. It will be back on April 14th. And Bob will be leading a discussion on the strangeness of the pandemic through art and film. The next blood drive is this Thursday, April 8th. Um, new slots have been released and are available. Uh, Bob, if you could help me out and drop the sign-in link in the comments, it'd be super helpful. Um, and then Max will be uh, coordinating another meal for Asensia to be delivered on the 29th. So talk, talk to Max if you're interested in helping out with that. And then finally, just a reminder, as always, if anybody needs some help or any outreach right now, please reach out to any of us on leadership and we will be happy to help. Thanks, Angie. So now is the time in our service that we always set aside for prayer requests or words of thanksgiving. Uh, now is the time to share our joys and concerns, as I always like to say. So if you have something you'd like to share, you can unmute and just raise your voice that way. Or if you're more comfortable, you can always type it into the chat window and I'll, I'll do my best to address it from there. But uh, does anybody have anything they want to share this morning? I want to say a, a prayer of joy for my girlfriend and I buying a house together. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome news. Absolutely. And it's, it's really wonderful to see you guys. Um, yeah, let's let's pray. Loving God, we give thanks for just joyous life transitions like this one and the blessing of homeownership and all, all the exciting things that go along with this. And uh, we just give thanks with, with Brian uh, just for that and also uh, this, this wonderful relationship. But we just pray your blessings on this couple and this, this new venture, this new stage of life they're entering in together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Somebody else this morning. Well, with that, uh, Max, I'm going to hand it over to you. Thanks. Yeah, so um, today I'm just gonna share a pretty quick um, music video, um, but it's kind of it's kind of interesting when we were in more normal times throughout the last years of deciding on you know what kind of music to bring for Easter. And as you're probably familiar, if you've spent any prolonged period in most churches, but it becomes very triumphalist uh, very quickly, and very um, you know a lot of uh, words and images and messages around Christ the victor and uh, trampling over his enemy's death. And it's always sort of an interesting um, juxtaposition, especially as so many of us in this community I know um, have been going through different steps of deconstruction and what that means that um, I think of all the things that our differing views bring together, um, in this, in a community like ours, Easter tends to be one of those days, especially 
that people come in with a lot of different feelings on and a lot of different opinions on. Um, I know I, for one, growing up and in my young adulthood, um, found it very important for myself to try to prove right, the historicity of Easter and try to prove like, okay, what did and didn't happen and what does resurrection mean? Like, it, you know, um, in a historical lens and what can be proven. And, um, and I know just through conversations that a lot of you have come um, through that path, maybe are still in that place too. So um, I personally have found letting go of that sort of, um, uh, challenge, letting go of that sort of um, drive to try to try to prove uh, Easter as if um, it's something we'll finally just get the right amount of evidence uh, to check the boxes and turn in our thesis and get an A on because we've proven the resurrection. Um, I, I, the more you can let go of that, I have found to be for me a freeing experience. So uh, one of these songs is, is uh, you guys are all pretty familiar um, with, with Gunger at this point, but one of their songs um, is just one of my favorites and it really reshapes um, very much not a theological lens of Easter, but um, I mean, I guess in some ways it is, but really an approach of what Easter is celebrating and it not <clears throat> being the end of things. And as we've talked about already this morning, Easter in many ways just celebrates new life, right? It's this spring festival that got, you know, overlapped with um, a pagan spring festival. And that's why, you know, the bunnies and the green and the colors and stuff, I'm, I'm sure we're all pretty familiar with um, that piece of it. But really at the end of the day, Easter is a celebration of new, of hope, of growth, of birth, um, of the things that we also associate so much um, with, with spring. Um, so with that, I will uh, play this little music video. I, I was trying to find a good vid video with it. It's pretty cheesy, um, but I, I kind of figured we could do some cheesy after this year. So we're just gonna go with it. It's, it's also beautiful. So I hope you enjoy. Um, the word art's really the main part that I think is cheesy, but I hope you enjoy. Here you go.
There's your Easter message. Uh, well, at least on the worship side for this. <laughs> uh, this is not the end. Amen. Thanks, Max. A few weeks ago, I saw a post on social media about the perfect way to celebrate Easter. It was posted by someone named Megan Westra. She said this, how to faithfully celebrate Easter, Easter this year. One, only women on the Zoom call. Two, the call is scheduled before dawn. And three, we speak only of impossible things that will topple the empire. <laughs> I, I thought that was perfect because, you know, the Gospels tell us it was women who were first at the tomb at dawn and who were given the charge by an angel to tell the rest of the disciples about the risen Lord. I'm reminded of the words uh, from Jürgen Moltmann, a famous German theologian, who once said, without women preachers, we would have no knowledge of the resurrection, which is true. And such a fact was provocative for first century people and still is for some because the word and testimony of women was not held in high regard uh, back then, which we'll see in our text this morning. And so in the spirit of that tradition, I wanna to begin today by having Malin read Luke's account of the resurrection. Uh, May, if you're ready, uh, go ahead, please. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be handed over to the sinners to be crucified and on the third day rise again? Then they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all, all this to the 11 and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and, did not, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, saw the linen clothes by themselves. Then he went home amazed at what had happened. Ah, thank you so much, May. The resurrection can be interpreted in many ways, but no matter how we interpret it, it must always be interpreted in a liberating way, because at the end of the day, the resurrection is about the power of love and justice, conquering the power of oppression and injustice. It's about believing in the so-called impossible and being a people of the so-called impossible. And what was really impossible 
to people living in Palestine 2,000 years ago was not that a God could be raised from the dead or that a, that a God could perform miracles. Gods were doing that kind of stuff all the time, all over the place. But what was, what was impossible was this idea that a God, or the God in this case, would identify with the so-called nothings and nobodies of the world. The women, the Samaritans, the poor, the sick and the infirm, the, the tax collectors and the sex workers. It seemed impossible to people back then that God would identify and favor people such as these instead of the wealthy and the powerful and the, and the religious leaders, people like that. And so I think the miracle stories in the Gospels are meant to be read side by side with Jesus's radical teachings and preferential treatment of the poor and the powerless. Both his miracles and his message are meant to be seen as a discourse of the impossible or as a demonstration of a kingdom of the impossible, which is, of course, the kingdom of God. The, the kingdom of God Jesus came preaching about shouldn't be confused with heaven on high, but what the world would look like if God was in charge. This is the kingdom of God Jesus talked about all the time. It's what the world would look like if God was in charge, and a very different kind of world that would be. A world of the so-called impossible, where the poor and the powerless are blessed. Love and justice would reign. The, the first would be last, and the last would be first. The the, the humble would be exalted and the, and the exalted will, would be humble. The greatest among us would be the servant of all, etc. So when I read in the text about someone walking on water or the blind receiving their sight or the dead being raised, I don't respond with incredulity or with a, with a cynical smirk, but I take it all as a kind of poetics of the kingdom of God, a, a poetics of the impossible. And my heart soars with a desire for transformation, for, for justice, for renewal, for rebirth, and for that which we pray and weep, for the so-called impossible. Now, because I say things like this, people sometimes ask me, well, well, wait a minute, Aaron, do you believe in the, little, in the literal resurrection or not? And I like to respond, I absolutely believe in the literal resurrection. I believe it's literally about love and justice conquering the powers of death and injustice. I believe what Dorothy Soleil believed about the resurrection, who was a 20th century theologian. She said, where there is solidarity, there is resurrection. Where there is solidarity, there is resurrection. When we break the neutrality of silence and abandon our complicity with injustice, the new life begins. Here we see that resurrection is really an insurrection. Resurrection is really an insurrection against the evil and unjust systems of our world. And the word insurrection is really a great way to describe the resurrection because, you know, the resurrection was actually illegal, which is pretty funny when you think about it, but it really was. The religious leaders, as the story goes, the religious leaders went to Pilate after Jesus died and said they were concerned that his disciples would steal his body from the tomb and fake his resurrection. Kind of like uh, maybe this is where they got the original plot for Weekend at Bernie's. I don't know, but it's kind of a funny idea that uh, the disciples would steal the body and try to stage the resurrection. But this is what the religious leaders were concerned about. And so Pilate agreed that that would be a problem. And so he stationed some soldiers at the tomb and had his official seal placed on the rock in front of the entranceway, thus communicating to everyone that stone is not to be moved under any circumstances by order of Pontius Pilate. 
What's interesting about this is that it was acts of civil disobedience that got Jesus crucified, right? Pilate saw him as an inciter of rebellion, especially because he had been labeled as king of the Jews by the people, a big no-no, Caesar's empire. So it was acts of civil disobedience that got him crucified, and it was an act of civil disobedience that got him resurrected. The resurrection was illegal. It was a violation of the Roman governor's decree. The resurrection was an insurrection. It was an insurrectionary act against an oppressive and unjust empire, and it still is. To affirm the resurrection is to literally believe in a kind of insurrectionary power, the power of civil disobedience, the power of resisting evil and unjust systems. Anytime we do that, we are affirming our belief in the resurrection. And likewise, anytime we don't do this, when we refuse to resist and fight against evil and unjust systems and are complicit in them instead, we are in fact denying the resurrection. This is what I think it means to believe or not believe in the resurrection, which obviously makes it more about how we actually live in, in relationship to each other, rather than what we believe about the supernatural or the afterlife. And you know what's ironic? I think people actually find it easier to believe the dead can be raised than we could actually live in a world substantively different than this one, a world that is actually more just than this one. A, a blogger named Martha Kelly recently said this, under capitalism, it's normal to let children go hungry. It's normal to let banks force people out of their homes, let sick, let sick people die for lack of access to healthcare. But the idea that billionaires could just be less rich, not poor, not struggling, just less rich, is seen as insane or impossible. Again, I think people have an easier time believing the dead can be raised than we could actually live in a world without, say, capitalism. That seems truly impossible to a lot of people. Why is that? Kind of makes you wonder what people's real gods are and what their faith is really in. If, if human-made institutions like capitalism or other systems of injustice and gross inequality are treated as, you know, quote, just the way things are, unquestionable orthodoxy, then these are our true gods. This is what we really believe in. And yet the resurrection stands as an insurrection against all of that idolatry. The resurrection dares to say that another world is possible, a more just world, as impossible as that may seem to some. Just this week, I don't know if you saw this in the news, but just this week, a Gallup poll study was released that shows for the first time ever in U.S. history, less than half of Americans attend church or have any religious affiliation. No one is, of course, surprised by that data. Things had been you know, trending in that direction for a while. But one of the major reasons for this shift is the alignment of the American church with far-right politics, a kind of regressive and oppressive value system that is basically geared to keep white Christian conservative men in charge of the culture and, and the nation. And this, this is really being driven by anxiety in the church because the fact is the country is becoming less white, less Christian, and less conservative. Thus, I think this is a major cause of the church's decline. It doesn't explain it entirely, but I think it explains a lot of it. 
which is to say that much of the church does not embody the liberating values of the resurrection, but instead embodies the oppressive values of empire, a white Christian male empire that has been in power for generations and is now afraid of losing that power and losing the so-called culture war. So the church by and large has embraced the values of empire rather than embraced the resurrection values. And the church has reaped the fruit of that choice by becoming increasingly irrelevant and isolating. But there are many churches that embrace the values of the resurrection, and these churches are allies in the fight for LGBTQ rights. These churches are committed to the work of anti-racism. These churches are pro-woman and pro-immigrant. These churches are, are places where science is taken seriously, and people are free to believe different things about God or nothing at all. These churches are places of free thought, human rights, and liberation. Such churches, I'd say, believe in the resurrection and embody the resurrection. So with that, I'll end my remarks uh, this morning and open it up for discussion. We always have a little dialogue uh, at the end of our service. Um, and I have some discussion questions, but, I, but I'd like to always you know, open it up with uh, just asking if anybody has any comments or any questions about, um, about my talk. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the resurrection or what it means for you to believe in the resurrection. What does the resurrection mean to you now? You know, how has your views on the resurrection changed maybe over, over time? Does anybody uh, want to share, want to share their thoughts on that or perhaps about the recent Gallup study? <laughs> Well, as um, as we're all thinking about uh, about that, I thought I would share that one of the things for me that Easter reminds me of, especially since my faith has changed so much over the years, is like Easter reminds me to lean into hope. Um, which is something that I think is hard to do. Like pessimism is really, really easy, especially if your faith has changed, um, especially with some of the things that we see happening in the world around us. And I think that's kind of the thing that brings me back and holds me centered in my faith is that for the entire history of what um, what we've been getting to here with Jesus's story is that it doesn't have to be this way, um, that the story's not over, it's not finally written. And so, yeah, I don't know. I think I can tend to be quite pessimistic about things, especially this year as I look around the world. Easter is this kind of reminder that new things are happening. We are moving forward. You know, justice took blows this year, but we've also been resilient in some ways. And there's a ton of work to do that we still get to be a part of. It's just sort of a reframing for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks, Bob. 
other reflections on the resurrection? What does it mean to you now? Maybe how has it changed for you over time? Or what do you what do you have hope for in 2021? Do you have hope in 2021 for for things? <laughs> you know, we've come through a hell of a year this, these last 12 months, and the pandemic's still not over, right? Um, but things are changing. Hopefully, things are getting better. Um, anybody want to share their hope for 2021? Beyond. Yeah, I mean, but, I I have a lot of hope. Um, for the for the future, um, it's hard a lot of times. But something that I thought about when you said, like this isn't the world doesn't have to look like this. Um, it can change. This isn't the end. It just reminded me that that starts with us. Like it's not something that we can just kind of sit back passively and be like, oh, I have hope for the future that it'll change. Like no, that. That starts with us, that starts with us changing and um, being brave. Like, it makes me think about, like sometimes when I see homeless people, I wanna give them money or ask them how they are or if they're hungry, but I get nervous because I don't know, it, it's scary sometimes to have an interaction with a stranger. Um, so just being brave, being that, like you said, like living like Jesus, that starts with us actively every day, not just on Sunday. Yeah, it's a step of faith, really. I mean, it's a step of courage. If yeah. we equating faith to courage there, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Thank you for that reflection, Sarah. Yeah, yeah. Anna Hall, uh, or Brittany, you asked in the chat column, where's the Dor Dorothy Soleil quote from? Um, I don't know exactly what work of hers that's from. Uh, somebody... Um, I think I found it either in, a, in an editorial, uh, an edited book of her material. I don't know the exact source, but I will, I will try to find that for you. And then uh, Anna Hall, churches should be place of free thought. Very powerful. Yeah, even that alone is like earth shattering for a lot of people. Church can be a place of free thought. Whoa. Um, but I, I think that too is a way of embodying the liberating power of the resurrections set free from all forms of oppression, including religious oppression. If anything, the death of Jesus signified to the early church, the death of, you know, the God of religious law, this, this kind of oppressive religious environment or this oppressive religious uh, ideology. So yes, absolutely. Uh, that's the case. Other thoughts today? Stephen posted in the chat, uh, earlier in my deconstruction process, I used to feel frustrated and unsatisfied when I would hear Aaron's response to the question of the historicity of the resurrection. Some might claim it's dodging the question. I don't know when I got over it, but I now, but now I don't feel very compelled to give an answer that satisfies the way an evangelical slash fundamentalist would demand that it be answered. Just wondering if anyone else has experienced that. Um, yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> I think that that can be hard to attend a church where the, where the pastor 
says, I believe in the literal resurrection. I believe it's literally about love and justice conquering death and injustice or, you know, the powers of injustice, you know, and darkness and evil. Um, yeah, yeah. Does anyone else find that a difficult hump to get over to, you know, kind of suspend maybe one's, uh, one's, I guess, need to believe in the historicity of the resurrection for uh, basically affirming its meaning? Um, was that a difficult transition? It's a little, it's a difficult hump to get over, but when you think about it in the right way, at some point, someone raised, not this morning, but this, I don't know, maybe a couple of years ago, uh, you said something about how, you know, literally, you know, if you believe literally, you know, Jesus walked on water, but you also don't believe in hope and love and caring for your neighbor, then it's kind of a moot point whether or not historically he scientifically he walked on water or not <laughs> and once i thought about that i was like oh well yeah that is kind of the important part so that kind of helped me uh, deal with that yeah so, uh, i appreciate no, you saying that yeah dan i'm sorry did i cut you off no 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 i was just kind of when i when i think about it in those terms that helps me uh, with that yeah because he even if you believe in it in a more like literal way, um, you still have to make the symbolic leap, right? So if it doesn't represent anything symbolic or spiritual to you, if it's just, you know, uh, like believing that aliens built the pyramids, it's, it's an amazing idea, right? And, and some people really believe that, right? But it doesn't change the way they live their lives. It's an incredible thing to believe. But in a way, you know, I think we were, many of us were raised to believe in the resurrection, kind of like believing that aliens built the pyramids. You're supposed to believe this amazing thing but the, the question is, does it actually transform the way you, does it mean anything for the way that you live your life, especially in relationship to others? And if the answer to that is no, then that's not really, I think, what Jesus or, frankly, uh, Paul had in mind with, you know, what does it mean to believe in the resurrection? We all, so really, it's how you transfer that belief into the symbolic and the spiritual or into your lived life that matters most. So, so it's kind of a moot point, the whole debate over the historicity of it. The question is, does it hold meaning for you? And if the answer to that is yes, then I think you are actually putting your faith in the resurrection. Uh, does that make sense? And, and yes, that's, that, that's to some people that's radical because it's kind of like the past is the pastor saying, I don't have to believe in the historicity of the resurrection to believe in the resurrection. Yes, that's what this pastor is saying. But that's a liberating thing, right? That sets us free from the idolatry of, you know, certainty, as somebody mentioned earlier, right? Or the idolatry of needing to intellectually affirm, you know, things that frankly are very difficult to, I think, grab a hold of. Um, and, and it places our faith more in our lived reality into the actual, I think, uh, incarnational Christ way of actually being in the world. Um, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then Pete, Max, Pizza, I deny the resurrection piece. People ask Peter Rollins sometimes, do you deny the resurrection? Often an evangelical will confront him with that. And he'll say, I absolutely deny the resurrection. I deny the resurrection every single time I turn my back on my brother in need or my sister in need. But I affirm the resurrection likewise every single time that I, I you know, help, help those in need or become the body of Christ in the world in the way that I love my neighbor. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely a New Testament way of looking at at faith faith isn't if faith is not so much intellectual assent to supernatural truth claims but faith is faithfulness faith is faithfulness to the virtues of christ to the teachings of christ of, of radical love 
and commitment to justice. Faith is faithfulness to Christ and his virtues. Um, and I think that's um, not some new age postmodern take on it. I think that's a very, if I hate the word biblical, <laughs> you know, that's a trigger word for me. You know, this is a biblical take, um, but, but I, I think it is still. I'm seeing a lot of good remarks in the chat. Other thoughts today about the resurrection, what it means to be the church, especially in regards to the Gallup poll. You know, I, I, I just wonder if, if anybody else wants to reflect on how the how church culture is changing and the diminishment of the church in American society. Is it diminishing? I, frankly, I have mixed feelings about that Gallup poll. You know, I still think that evangelicals are, are, are a strong power politically speaking, culturally speaking, even though their numbers are diminishing. I, uh, it's like that Mark Twain quote, uh, the, the rumors of my demise have been greatly exaggerated. Uh, uh, anybody wanna reflect on that, have thoughts on that? Aaron, I have a quick question for you and you maybe said this. So for that poll, is that only defining evangelical Christians? Cause I mean- no. Okay. Saying, so I would argue that maybe the evangelical Christians in my life probably wouldn't define me as a Christian, even though right. I, I am. My understanding is it's measuring religious affiliation across the board, that it's saying religious affiliation is down across the board, excuse me, but specifically with, for, oh, well, specifically in the church. But the, as you know, the church is a pretty broad thing, you know, lots of different denominations, uh, but across the board taken as a whole, religious affiliation is down for Christians. That's my understanding of it. Um, I mean, it's down across the board, I think, for other religious groups in the United States as well. It's not just Christianity, but I think it's specifically measuring religious affiliation in the Christian traditions. Um, but yeah, I, I tend to think that um, there is, I mean, even look at LA, I, you see a lot of those kind of neo-fundamentalist, I call them neo-fundamentalist uh, um, millennial type churches where it's sort of, you know, your mosaics, your realities, your, um, your Zoe church, right? Those have been enormously, Max, what did you say? <laughs> you made me, you don't want to say it all. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, those churches are very popular, right? And they've gained a lot of ground over the last 20 years, but I, I haven't been in one of those churches in obviously a while. I don't know if they're losing ground too. Um, I think the fact that they virtually are silent on social justice matters has damaged them. I think a lot of people have left those churches because of their, frankly, anti-LGBTQ stance. They try to be quiet about it, but once you dig under the surface, you realize that they're not affirming. Um, I think a lot of people have left those churches, for, but I don't know. Uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. So I put the Gallup uh, story in the ch uh, chat for people who want to check it out, and it is U.S. church membership. Um, as someone who's a uh, uh, day job is tied um, directly to the answer of this question. Um, I will I will just say that the stats that I read uh, on a quarterly basis um, shows the the points of most growth within churches in America right now are the most fundamentalist. Yes. So I, all to say, like when we see that churches membership is following falling, it's true. And also within that, 
those who remain tend to be pulled even further into fundamentalism. So it's it's a mixed bag in terms of <clears throat> what this means. It's kind of scary to me in many ways, right? Especially for those uh, of our church traditions and those of us who are, take parts in churches like this, who are like actively try to combat the idea of fundamentalism, regardless of the particular denomination, but naming that, hey, fundamentalism is not a healthy thing. Um, because in many ways, those of us who are have tried to remain within church culture and within the church, but reject fundamentalism are kind of working ourselves out of jobs or out of churches because we are, I think, rightly identifying that it's like, hey, we have to take this with open hand. We have to be intellectually honest. We have to be welcoming. We have to love each other. And the more of those things that you let go of, the harder it is to get a mega church full of thousands of people to say here, here, right, and sit down. So it's this like, it's this vicious cycle. I, I don't know if vicious, but it's a self-perpetuating cycle um, that I think the church will continue to decrease as a whole. But as it does, fundamentalist denominations within that will become even more powerful as they try to hold on as long as they can. Brian, did you want to? Thanks, Max. Brian, did you want to comment? Yeah, so for me, the literal resurrection is important, like the idea that Christ uh, literally came back to life from the grave. That uh, is still really important for me. And the way that you describe it is also important for me. Um, both of those, both the, uh, the literal historicity, the, the fact of the resurrection is important to me because it's we are here worshiping and celebrating and leading our lives by the instruction of god um uh and that's that's deeply meaningful to me and at the same time i also recognize that um a lot of uh christians don't necessarily follow the teachings of jesus and and put put a lot into the, the literal resurrection without actually taking the steps to follow Jesus' teachings and care for their fellow man. And, and so I, um, uh, yeah, I just wanted to put that out there. And thank you for those remarks, Brian. Thank you for that. And uh, it's always good to hear other points of view too. But thank you. Yeah, Go ahead, Bob. As, as you're talking about that, I'm, it, it, it reminds me that, first of all, one of the things I've loved so much about this community over the many years I've been able to be a part of that um, is that what, we, what we're trying to do here at Central is help people hold their faith in a more open and loose way. So what that does is it allows this community to disagree on all kinds of things and still be the church together. And that's when I, my shift in faith has kind of pulled me back from the question kind of the, the weight of importance that I put on the question of um, a lot of the literal things uh, in the Bible only because of how it 
it's been redefined for me as, you know, what I think has always been the core, the way that we live and engage in the world, bringing wholeness, newness, life, justice to the world. And so, <clears throat> excuse me. So for what that shows me, I think is that at the end of the day, I have to believe that God is very much less concerned about the, the intellectual things we believe and more about the ways that we actually live and embody Christ in the world. And so, yeah, the resurrection question in this community, you know, I think we will have people who fall all over the place. And, um, and I think that's a beautiful part of being community. What I like is that we get to recognize that where we come together is in the transformative way that the resurrection demands us to live differently in the world and to change the world for justice. Good stuff. Other thoughts, reactions, responses, questions? I just want to jump off of something that Jason was talking about in the chat. Yeah. I think it's really good. Um, just trying to explain this to kids and not really knowing how to go about it. I'm definitely not going to tell you how to do that right now. <laughs> May, please tell us how. Yeah. <laughs> um, that is not, it's not what I'm here for right now. But no, what I was going to say was that we are doing them a huge service by not explaining it the way we were, it was explained to us as kids. So we are doing them a huge service by not saying you must accept Christ. These are the things you must believe and indoctrinating them. I mean, I think that's, that's our role, right? Is to, <laughs> is to not press on our kids what was pressed on us. Um, and so I think that whatever way you go about it, as long as your intentions are pure, I really don't think that there is a bad way to go about it. Um, as long as you're not, you know, telling them that if you don't be behave, you are nailing Jesus, you know, yeah. like there's, I don't think there's a wrong way to, um, really go about it as long as you do it with love, yeah. and, you know, it, and not the way that we were told. I, I, and May and Jason, I, I just think, you know, when I think about talking to Lucy and Sophie about this, I, I just think, you know, I'm going to answer whatever questions they have by just saying what Christianity means to me. And I, it's not going to be about, this is what, are, this is what it needs to mean to you because you're my daughter. You better get in line. Um, but I'm just going to say, you don't, you know, this is what it means to me. And this is how my beliefs have changed over the years. Um, and they're going to have the option of believing or not believing, uh, you know, and that's, that's radical, uh, to my family. Uh, that's crazy in their eyes. Um, you know, this idea that they would have a choice. Um, <laughs> so I think for me, that's going to be the key is just like, I don't have to, I don't have to indoctrinate them. I can just tell them, this is what it means to me. This is what it means to your mother. This is what it means to our community. It can mean something different to you. And that's okay. Um, and that for me is Christ. That, that for me is an affirmation of the death and resurrection of God um, and the transfiguration of God um, to use our New Testament terms, which, which are still very important to me. I, I say that with utter sincerity. I, I find those words, resurrection, crucifixion, transfiguration, redemption. I, I find those words deeply meaningful to me still. Um, they mean different things than they used to, but those words are still very powerful words to me um, and exemplify 
uh, I think, my own personal journey with God. So um, I, I hope that's helpful. Uh, Maith and Jason, thanks for talking about other thoughts today from anybody. Responses. in the conversation so really flourish in the chat that's cool Ren said something I've been thinking about in relation to the resurrection is what brings us back to brings us back tooth story what is what is so powerful tooth story I'm not sure what that is what is so story. what'd you say Bob to this story to this story got it what is so powerful I think he answers that question um Changes the way we answer the question goes through life and individuals and in culture. Sorry, I'm reading all this out loud. <laughs> Change happens over a long series of choices and events, and that's way scarier and harder. Yeah. Yeah, Bryn, amen. Good stuff. Well, we'll conclude, I guess, there. I want to say thanks to all of you for joining us. And um, if you want to hang out and chat some more, please do so. But otherwise, uh, happy Easter to all of you. Um, go, in, go in peace. Happy Easter, everybody. Good to see you again. Good seeing you, Brian. Good to see you, Brian. Happy, happy Easter, everyone. Thanks, Aaron. You're welcome.